0: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times, I'm Matt Chorley. Who will choose the next Prime Minister? This question is going to become incredibly important in the next couple of weeks when Theresa May, we think will announce that she is standing down, triggering a leadership contest. Almost everybody in Britain has so far thrown their hat into the ring, but who will end up choosing the person who enters number 10, probably before the summer recess? Here to answer that question, and others, Katie Perrier, former Director of Communications and Number 10 for Theresa May, now Chair of In-House PR. James Kirkup, former political journalist and now Director of the Social Market Foundation Think Tank. And Chris Curtis, Research Manager from the yougov polling company. So Katie, about this time three years ago, bit less, you were part of the Theresa May leadership campaign team. It all happened very quickly that the campaign sort of launched and suddenly everyone was scrabbling around trying to work out how does this work? What is the process? Everyone is throwing their hat into the ring. But when the campaign start or the contest starts properly, how does it actually work? How do we whittle it down?
1: Well, it's quite simple in regards to there is someone that has to drop off the bottom because they just don't get enough votes. And so um, every time, they will kind of self-select, I think, half the people that are going to be running, and quite a few people are running, it's going to be a bit like the Grand National, will just kind of self-select to leave because there's no way they're going to win. And so they're just hoping for a decent ministerial post or even a cabinet position. And so it's going to be quite clear who's going to be left. And I think there's going to be three or four that's left that um, will start to be serious. And at that point, people start asking, well, you know, what can you offer me? Why should I come and join your team? And there's kind of a lot of trading going on.
0: And so the process is that people can nominate themselves. I think last time around, they had to have two other MPs. So it's quite easy, in theory, for someone to just...
1: I think even you could get three, Matt.
0: That's very kind of you for saying so. Uh, although you do have to be a Tory MP, to be clear. The, the rules do say you have to be a Tory MP. So we could have maybe a dozen people who launch a, what you would call a serious bid. Tory MPs then start whittling them down. They just have a vote, and whoever gets the fewest votes, they get knocked off, and then they vote again, and whoever gets the fewest votes, they get knocked off again. Unless, of course, some people are so embarrassed by how few votes they got they might come second from bottom and they drop out as well is that basically that, that's, how it
1: works? That, that's right and um what you start to find at this point is you know who will naturally take on your style of politics or you know your vision for the future and people start getting into bed with others and and then you start to see the dream team the, the packs the idea of you know who's going to come forward and who, who's backing them so uh, for example if uh, michael gove didn't get enough votes uh, it's really important to know who he's following and that kind of that kind of thing matters.
0: And will we see so if Michael Gove, I don't know, drops out at four or five and he had thirty MPs backing him, do we assume that he carries all of those thirty with him to back someone else? I mean presumably that's what he will promise when he's trying to wrangle the chancellor's job or something but
1: I don't think you can assume anything uh, anymore <laughs> I mean you know you wish we assume that the front runner never gets it well I'm not sure that's the case this time around there's lots of different assumptions in British politics that I think have kind of you chuck out the window um, and uh, those people I mean if we saw um, after the Brexit vote and the leadership election last time some people publicly backed four different candidates <laughs> in the space of a fortnight I mean anything could happen
0: So James, you were a political journalist for a long time before you uh, escaped. Um, So you covered the 2005 contest. Um, And what happened there was the... It whittled down quite quickly to David Cameron and, and David Davis, but they, they weren't necessarily the ones that people expected at the start of the race. Um, two
2: thousand five. I mean, I, David Davis probably was the yeah, was the overwhelming favourite. Um, probably who underperformed in two thousand five. Liam Fox, I think, was the yeah. Uh, you yeah, dropped out uh, you, if you were really getting into history. Malcolm Rifkin was a contender in two thousand five. <laughs> Ken <laughs> Clark ran yeah around two thousand five. Ken Clark's entered um, every toy leadership absolutely. contest and, since and the and early nineteen hundreds. I, 1900s, I, I think, really so. hope he's, he enters this one too. What's well, the important thing to know about 2005? Uh, the Tory membership you know, was thinking about winning the next general election, uh, and so along came David Cameron, uh, looked looked new, looked shiny, looked, you know, looked nice, and they thought, oh, we'll have some of that, please. Uh, so that takes you to who, who are the Tory members. The really interesting thing about 2005, how many members there were. There were more than 300,000 members of the Tory party we, who elected David Cameron. Uh, now we're down to, no one quite knows, 100 thousand? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty small number. There is a small group of people are going to have a very big say on this thing, and the relationship
0: between the leadership of the party and the membership hasn't always been great, has it? So. Let's tell your loons story okay. for the benefit yeah, of the Try and listeners. do this as
2: quickly as possible. <laughs> um, for, you know, it is actually six years ago, you know, six years ago last week. Um, uh, no, this, is a, this is a time when the relationship between Cameron and particularly his backbench is getting pretty bad. Um, I think there'd been two big rebellions uh, one on gay marriage and uh, one of the early Euro referendum rebellions. You're getting sort of 80, 90, 100 Tory MPs regularly. Voting against David Cameron, it, Tory Party rattled by by, by rising UKIP. They lost the. Uh, oh, sorry, they hadn't lost. They had lost the the, the Eastleigh by-election. Chris Huhn, remember him, uh, in February 2013. <laughs> but they, they'd been yeah, the Tories were beaten by UKIP and Eastleigh. So Tory Party is in a fairly febrile state. Uh, now I went out for dinner with uh, several other uh, friends in journalism. Uh, Sam Coates now currently of the Times. Tim Shipman, son of the Times. Uh, James Lyons, who's since. Fall into obscurity somewhere, um, and <laughs> um, uh, we were having dinner with somebody else talking about somebody else, something else, and along came because we were in. Uh, Say at the Blue Boar, uh, we accept sponsorship and advertising and free, free burgers if you uh, exchange. Uh, we were in the Blue Boar in Westminster, and along came somebody whose name we've never given and we never would because it's not how it works. Uh, who is very, very close to David Cameron and can speak with great authority about what David Cameron happens to think about all sorts of things, but particularly the Conservative Party. I'm not going to say any more than that. Anyway, we had a chat about <laughs> some, we had a chat about some stuff, and we talked about the rebellions. And somebody, Sam, said to him, "All right, well, what's going?" on, there all this, this, this Tory rebellion stuff. And he said, this person, whose name I'm not going to give, uh, oh, don't worry, it's all fine. The MPs just have to vote for this stuff because the associations make them do it and the associations are all mad, swivel-eyed loons. And so, this became quite a potent yes. turn of phrase now, that, that you
0: splashed all over the front of the page.
2: Indeed, yes. So that, that phrase continues to resonate because essentially that captured the the Cameroon view of the Tory membership um I mean, the real disconnect between the people then running the Tory party and the people paying their you know, paying their subs handing out leaflets you know, who were the party um and you know well whatever description you choose to you, you choose to have of those members those people described by a friend of David Cameron as mads with light loons are about to choose the Prime Minister of Great Britain.
0: Okay so Chris let's bring you in now so uh, last week YouGov did a big survey for the times of conservative party members which is a we don't get these very often because they're quite expensive because it's not the same as doing a general how you're going to vote in a general election and you need to find these people who are Tory party members so what do we know about on the swivel idometer how <laughs> what do we know about these uh, these Tory party members I think
3: often conservative party members are not as swivel eyed on most issues as they're often perceived to be um to give you a couple of examples they are about as pro-choice as the general public is, their views on foreign aid are pretty much where the general public is. They are not these massively socially conservative um, voters. In, and in many areas, they're actually slightly more socially liberal than conservative voters are. One big area where that they, they do differ from the general public, one that's particularly important at the moment, is Brexit. Uh, three quarters of them, give or take, voted to leave the European Union. And crucially, for this upcoming leadership election. Two thirds of them, their preference would be to leave the European Union without a deal.
0: And just looking through the the figures, you're right, 60% say that it was right to allow same-sex marriage. Uh, Quite a lot of them want either the same emphasis on the environment or even more. But you're right, three quarters do want to drop the 0.7% target for uh, foreign aid. And they want the classic Tory dream combination of cutting public spending, borrowing and cutting taxes all at the same time. But Brexit is obviously the key thing. So do you think, looking at this, that whoever is going to mount a serious leadership challenge, they will have to promise to at least countenance the idea of no deal?
3: Yes. What I'm finding difficult to work out at the moment for the leadership candidates is it seems that They're either going to have to offer a unicorn or no deal, both has pros and cons, I'm not really sure which one they end up going with and how that ends up playing out between the two main leadership candidates. But yes, given the popularity of no deal amongst Conservative Party members, uh, it does seem to me that, that, that no deal was going to have to be a big part of this campaign and a big part of the discussion.
0: It's also worth pointing out that 2% of Tory members think that Theresa May's negotiation of Brexit is going very well. So they're going to help choose who the next minister is. That's
3: slightly more than the general public. We usually see that at
0: about 1% or occasionally 0%. (laughs) So just looking down through the issues they're most worried about, it's the economy, law and order, NHS, defence and security, immigration, and then at the bottom of the other end, pensions, transport, business, welfare. Interestingly, welfare, you know, for a long time, David Cameron's whole... David Cameron and George Osborne define themselves by you know cutting uh, welfare and that sort of thing. I mean, Brexit inevitably will um, end up dominating. One thing which is sort of slightly out of nowhere has emerged is a big issue is HS2. 57% say HS2 should be cancelled. And we've seen lots of Tory... Leadership contenders already saying, "Oh, I don't like the idea of this HS2 thing."
3: Yeah, it's quite interesting that this has entered the debate, having sort of not been talked about in politics for the past couple of years as brexit's dominated. But what we do see amongst Conservative members is the majority thinking that uh, HS2 should be cancelled, um, and just a minority, thirty-two percent, thinking that the uh, the plans to build it should go ahead.
0: Okay, let's move on and talk about who the people. So we've done the people are going to choose the people who are running. Katie, do you want to give us a rundown of the full Grand National? Who do we definitely know is running?
1: There's not enough hours in the day to <laughs> talk about uh, who's running in this Grand National. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we know Boris Johnson's running. We know uh, Michael Gove's running. We know Sadie Javid's running. Uh, well, we to, be clear, to be clear, there
0: is a difference. So Boris Johnson has said, of course, he's running. Andrea Ledson has said she'll, she'll throw her hat in the ring. Esther McVeigh said she will.
1: Basically, this is a waste of time. They're all running. <laughs> okay. <laughs> People that know that they will not become prime minister are also running because they want to be listened to. They want skin in the game. They want to know that they are important. So um, we're going to see a lot of names and a lot of kind of leadership contests that have been battled out already, and it's going to get worse. My my theory is actually that that we start to eat ourselves in public, and um, it continues and gets worse, and it gets a bit nasty, and you know there's some background briefing and all that kind of stuff, whilst the country is kind of looking at le- for leadership quality and um, whoever decides that they really think that they are in for the running should try and rise above that and try and show that we're not just talking to Conservative members because, you know, at the moment you just try and get over the line. You're you're hoping for 100,000 people to, to support you. But we should be bigger than that and we should be thinking much wider than that and the pitch should be about the nation rather than just Tory voters.
0: And presumably there is a risk that in a nasty contest... Somebody trashes the person who ends up winning and then the party ends up with a trashed leader.
1: Well, just imagine how you're having to serve in a cabinet where you've all really, really you know, tried to trash each other. It's It doesn't make for a good atmosphere. It doesn't make for loyalty. We've seen what leaks from the cabinet can do and how corrosive it can be. We've got to stop it and we've got to kind of bring ourselves together and we've got to remember that the common enemy is not ourselves. Uh, it is the socialist Corbyn government across uh, the benches from us. And so um, I think that's, this is a moment to kind Kind of press a restart button, whether or not we're capable of it, I don't know. Kate,
0: okay, so I should ask you as well because you've been a conservative councillor and a conservative member. What what are conservative members like?
1: Conservative members in the country, yeah, they're a massively mixed bag. Um, they, they're people like me. Uh, we run our own businesses, we think we are quite socially liberal. We want to, you know, our kids, we've got big aspirations for our families. Um, and we may have come from kind of humble beginnings, council house kind of backgrounds, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They are also, um, out of touch. Um, uh, you know, they keep themselves to themselves in their golf club circles. They don't really come into contact with anybody that might need something from their government. Um, And they'll be all right regardless. They've got savings, they've got investments, they've got property. They'll be all right regardless. And so I don't think necessarily they always think about the wider picture.
0: And some swivel-eyed loons?
1: I couldn't possibly comment.
0: <laughs> right, James. Uh, let's uh, let's pick through some of the contenders there. So Boris Johnson always a risk to be a front runner in a contest. You know, David Davis went into the two thousand and five one as the front runner, and over the course of the summer was basically overtaken by uh, David Cameron. What does Boris Johnson need to do to not fall foul of the front runner curse?
2: Well, the first thing he needs to do is get through, get onto the final two, which means building enough support among Tory MPs, which has always been his problem. Lots of his colleagues have. Doubts and questions, and bluntly doubts and questions about his character his reliability um, So what he needs to do probably is, is shut up, which is what he's doing at the moment uh, Stay quiet, he doesn't need to stake out big policy positions, lots of promises uh, He needs to build a solid following among Tory MPs Because basically yeah, the, the general consensus I think, uh, the polling from you government, others bear it out If he makes it to the final two he wins So the people who can stop him are uh, are other Tory MPs. The the thing that will stop him getting to the final two, I think, is the the doubt and the fear among fellow Brexit-backing Tory MPs that they can't rely on him. Uh, There's this lingering theory that actually he never really meant it, he was never that committed to leaving. Uh, and that you can't trust him to do the things he says he'll do. So actually, you know, you know, there is a. You, know, you talk to a lot of people in the Commons at the moment, Yeah, uh, you know, the theory is being put about that, yes, he might become Tory leader on the back of votes of Tory members who desperately want no deal, but he wouldn't actually go through with no deal, that he'd rat.
0: There's an interesting column that Rachel Sylvester's written in The Times this Very week. good column. Which makes exactly this point, that... that the old Boris Johnson, yep. pre-Brexit Boris Johnson, the liberal flag-waving yep. uh, London Mayor Boris Johnson is very different to the one we've got yes. now. And who is it? I mean, is it possible, is it not actually just quite good politics that he fights a leadership contest as a hard Brexiteer? Yes. Cause that's how you get through yep. and that's what... All the polling tells us what the members want,
2: and then immediately pivots to the one nation liberal, open, big, yeah, you know, big, you big tent Boris, who can who can reunite the country, bring together the uh, the brexiteers uh, yeah, and the remains. Yeah, I mean you can you can you can see the theory. I think the problem is his brand is very very strongly associated with hard Brexit and uh, and you know, and that side of politics. I think if he if he'd got it in 2016 after the referendum. I think it would have been a lot easier for him to 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 run that Premiership. It would have been
0: a, a quicker pivot back to yeah. old Boris. Yeah. yeah, I
2: think now he's got his he, yeah he, his image has changed a lot from that twenty twelve twenty fourteen, you know, from that Boris. He's now for a lot of people indelibly associated with Brexit, with hard Brexit, with yeah you know, you know, all of those causes. Yeah, so getting back to the centre, the, the one nation Boris, will be very hard for him.
0: Casey, it's one of the things that Boris has never quite sort of come to terms with, isn't it? It's why he keeps going back to the bus and trying to justify what's on the side of the bus. He It feels like he's never quite got used to the fact that not everyone in the country loves him.
1: Yeah, although I understand that he's kind of reconciled with that now and the new reformed Boris, which, he, you know, he's smartened up his act, he's lost weight, he looks more serious. I understand that he's kind of relaxed, more relaxed about the fact. But the Boris I knew from the London Mayor days, the minute that those, uh, you know, some of the Londoners turned on him and kind of, we called it, the, you know, the riots, they weren't riots, but, you know, there was, there was some, some unhappiness with the Mayor, he really didn't know how to handle it and he really struggled because this is a politician that cannot stand to be not liked.
0: Chris, all the polling points out uh, that he's very popular amongst Tory members. They think he's a good leader, will win them an election. Thirty-nine percent ranked him first. Uh, the closest that anyone got to that was um, uh, Dominic Raab, who was on about sort of thirteen percent. So well out in front amongst Tory members, but not amongst the public. Yeah. So if we if we start on that point about
3: Conservative members, because I think it's interesting that sort of um, one of the hot takes of the past few years, and Katie might remember this from her time. Um, on May's leadership campaign last time around as well, is that if Boris Johnson gets on the ballot paper, he'll win amongst Conservative Party members and for most of the time that people have been saying that it hasn't been true when we were doing polling in the last leadership election if Boris had got on the ballot paper the polling indicated that May would have still thrashed
0: him there was a, hu- and it was a huge I remember the poll well it was a huge yeah. leaf for Theresa May over Boris yeah, Johnson it,
3: it, was, it was and it was really really interesting and we were very very excited about it going out and it came to the morning of it going out and then Boris pulled out and there was that famous <laughs> Sam Coates picture um, <laughs> it's very upsetting for us because we're expecting to get some great headlines out of it
2: and the
3: even 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 about this time last year when we last ran our conservative party members poll more conservative party members said they thought boris would be a poor leader than say he'd be a good leader so this is actually quite a new phenomenon boris being so popular amongst conservative party members and it's happened over the course of the past 12 months and it's basically happening along these um along these brexit lines where um as 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 we know this leadership election is now going to be about brexit it's going to be about no deal and boris is the most prominent voice um, in that area at the moment. It's yes, interesting. So
0: amongst Tory party members, 64% say he would be a good leader. That's up from 47 last year. But interestingly, 77% of Leave voting Tory members think he'd be a good leader, only 28%. So there's a split, well, it's not even down the middle, but there's a split between Leave and Remain even amongst Tory party members. Yes, yeah, and it's those people that
3: are taking the no-deal position that are the ones that are most in favour of Boris. So yeah, this time last year, Sajid Javid was, um, would, was beating Boris in the head-to-head this year, it's, it's gone the other way around. So Boris's popularity amongst Conservative Party members, or this level of popularity, is a very new phenomenon. But as we say, is he, if he does get onto the ballot paper amongst MPs, um, I, I think he's now certainly
0: favourite to win. Interestingly, Michael Gove, the split is the other way. So although 47% say he'd be a good leader overall... He's more popular amongst Remain Tory members than Leave Tory members. Do you think that's just because he's in the government? In fact, look, I was just looking at this. You, so you lasted it the fifth to the eighth of July last year. That was around the time of Checkers. Yes. When Boris was still in the cabinet, and the it fact was, that Boris has just
3: been, before it was a few days, it was, it was in the days running up to Checkers. So oh,
0: Boris being outside the cabinet, distancing himself from the total, you know, watch show of the of the government has obviously done him some favours and, and maybe Michael Gove hanging in there and trying to steer things from the inside hasn't
3: yeah the, the divide between, isn't really between Remainers and Leavers inside the Conservative Party it's between dealers and no dealers now and at the
0: moment no Dealers is the far more popular position okay we should probably talk about some of the others Rory Stewart he's thrown his hat into the ring um, when uh, I asked in Red Box last week who would you like to have uh, is the next Tory leader loads of people were in saying uh, Rory Stewart um, Tory members don't agree uh, it has to be said. Only 19% say he would be a good leader. He was ranked bottom by more than anyone else. He's a Remainer and he's a very, you know, he's not wavered and tried to suggest otherwise. Has he got any chance at all? Well, part of it's prominence at the moment. So obviously he's uh, sort of new into the cabinet
3: and he's not as prominent as many of the other uh, the other people that are potentially running. Um Things change, things change quite quickly. We saw with um, Theresa May last time round as the the sort of MPs in Parliament circled around one candidate, her numbers did go up quite dramatically and she wasn't the consensus candidate until that happened. So that could happen to someone like Rory Stewart. I think it could also potentially happen to somebody like Penny Mordaunt if if, um, a lot of the Tory MPs um, decide that she's more of a consensus candidate. But as things currently stand, Boris does hold quite a commanding lead and he particularly holds a commanding lead over over Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart didn't win any of the head-to-head battles um, <laughs> that we modelled. We did the 36 of these head-to-head battles, eight of them containing Rory Stewart. He didn't win any of them.
0: And so then you also did uh, Jeremy Hunt, Angela Leadsom, Dominic Raab, Matt Hancock and, uh, as you said, Penny Morsen. Who do we think... So if we assume that Boris Johnson's going to make it through to the last round just because he's... It would be slightly ridiculous if the Tory MPs orchestrated keeping him off when the Tory part, party membership... Appear to want him, but I mean, you know, people have done ridiculous things in the past
2: couple of years of politics. The most select, most sophisticated electorate and most treacherous electorate in the Western world, aren't they? Um, MPs, yes. But so, who 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 else is going to be yeah, there? Who, who, but, well, if I mean, we think that yeah, Boris is going to get the I see if you Boris is one is one of the two. The question is, is the other person on the ticket? Going to be a remain one nation liberal? Is it going to be basically Rory Stewart or Matt Hancock appear to be the only the current candidates since Amber Rudd's rolled himself out? David Gork is resisting the clamour to stand, as he, he says. <laughs> um, so is, he, is it going to be a, a remain candidate versus versus leave, versus leave candidate or Michael Gove? Yeah, because Michael Gove, Yeah, if you talk to some people, Michael Gove picks up. Yeah, or potential sympathy and support among remain inclined Tory MPs as being the lever we can live with. Um, whereas, I mean, if you talk to some Tory MPs, Tory ministers who say they will they'll walk out of Boris Wenz, they'll say, you know what, I can live with Michael. Um, yeah, because he has that... Yeah, partly, he, yeah, he, the way he's behaved over the last year or so, uh, he's stayed in government, he's, st- he's sort of stuck... He's trying to push the deal, but also because he's sort of... Some of his, yeah, he has established... Stronger credentials as a uh, social liberal than you know than, than Boris than Boris twenty nineteen has so that I think is the interesting question is it you uh, you, you and obviously it'd be, it'd be it'd be lovely it'd be a lovely bit of symmetry to have you know, to have Gove you know, Gov and uh, and Boris fighting uh, fighting over <laughs> it. given is, given that Gove the, yeah, Gov, Gov, the we, given, we given created the, Gov... the
0: bloodbath of twenty sixteen
2: yeah absolutely yeah so uh, but yeah I said, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see whether or not a single a single sort of uh, remain liberal one-nation candidate emerges from that one that, that, that Rory Stewart Matt Hancock area or whether or not they, they remain split and uh, you yeah, know it ends up being a sort of a second a second yeah a second best Briggsitee you yeah, know you yeah, uh, Michael Gove possibly Penny Mordaunt. Yeah.
0: In the in the runoff between uh, Boris and Michael Gove it comes out as 66-34 in Boris's favour so it's quite a, a hill to climb for, for Michael. Katie who else do you think could come through who were you worried about back in 2016?
1: Oh, it's Boris's to lose back then. And then when he kind of was out of the race, uh, it was to make sure that we didn't kind of screw up. And we we were heading for hustings around the country to take our um, our message to people outside of London. Didn't happen. Conservative voters feel and members feel very aggrieved. They never got the chance to hear that contest, and they will not appreciate it if the Tory MPs try that stunt again. And I think the party is forced to. Even there's no money, there's no time. I think the party is forced to be serious about a hustings. Um, and that might be one or two. It doesn't have to be lots, but it needs to be a proper runoff where you see people stand up. I was in the room in Blackpool two thousand and five when uh, David Davis gave a lackluster speech, and David Cameron wiped the floor uh, with him. I think that um, hustings will show, that some people have a real skill for example penny morden is a fantastic speaker she lifts the room everybody thinks comes out of a, a speech from penny thinking my god she really knows what she's doing she's she's quite you know, she, she has the command of the room not enough people have had experience of someone like penny and so i think that in a husting scenario if they did get down to the last two they would probably um, improve on their vote Compared to your polling you've got in front of you now.
0: Well, it's really striking that in a lot of the polling, people like Matt Hancock, Rory Stewart, Penny Morton, 20 30% say they don't know enough about them to have a view. And actually, that's not a bad thing because if, if change candidates are the ones who win elections, then you can make a play of that. This
1: is why you never want to be the front runner. I remember in the Boris campaign in London in 2007, we were kind of 12 points. Uh, behind Ken Livingstone and someone walked into the room and said for the first time they are neck and neck and we could possibly be getting in the room and everybody turned around and said burn that paper you don't (laughs) want to be the front runner you want to be that underdog you want to be the challenger you want to be fresh you want to be new and it does it is in their favour to be unknown and to really surprise at something like a Hustings Um, Tory members will will travel they will go to these events they will they do want to hear from these people
0: okay in a sec we'll talk about what happens what will happen this summer during the contest and then what we'll be waiting for the new Prime Minister in their intro we'll be back after this short break If you enjoy listening to Times journalists talking about politics but would like to do it while it's sea you're in luck imagine me and Danny Finkelstein plus Prue Leith Pam Ayres Armando Inucci and Alan Johnson on a cruise ship no, it's not a brand new reality TV show, but the brilliant literary festival at Sea 2020 on the Queen Mary 2. For details of this trip organised by Times expert traveller and to book your place on board, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash lit 2020 and quote the word Times when booking to get access to exclusive Times events. Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Politics Podcast with me, Matt Jolly, joined by Katie Perry, James Kirkup, and Chris Curtis. Okay, so the contest plays out this summer. We're told that when it's whittled down to the two, we're told that the Tory party want to hold something like eleven rounds of hustings across the country. Uh, Although there'll presumably also be some sort of Question Time TV debate, which will probably reach far more members all in one go uh, and could end up deciding what happens. Okay, do we think that the new Prime Minister will be in place before the summer recess by the end of July?
1: Yeah, I think that's the plan. Don't forget, Boris's camp will feel that or the whole plans for this is designed to really, really push him as far as he possibly be. It's Brandon Lewis, is the party chairman that gets a sign off the plans for these hustings. They've fallen out in the past. So I think that, you know, this will be taken by Boris's camp as you're really going to put me through the ringer in order to get this job.
0: And if they went for a different timetable, actually the timetable that David Cameron originally set out on the steps of number 10 when he quit, which was a contest which lasts all summer uh, with the new leader in place by... uh, The party conference in the autumn that's basically a kill boris strategy to string it out as long as possible and let someone else try and find a way of, of defeating you
1: that's exactly right boris will want this over and done with as soon as possible and indeed i think that there is an appetite that there is a bigger issue at play here we have to get through brexit we need to come up with some kind of deal by the end of october we can't really wait until the first time we see the new leader is the party conference i think that would be too far
0: and actually party conference is a great place to unveil a whole bunch of new people it's you know it's another relaunch and people might tune in a bit to see the new cabinet in action and that sort of thing
1: exactly and you know Conservative Party needs to go back and think why the hell does it exist and what is it here to do and why should we be governed because they don't have a divine right to govern some people think they do but they don't and so it's a good opportunity to reset that dial at conference
0: and how big because you know Boris how big a thing how big a change would it be if we get would we see a new party logo like David Cameron did in two thousand five. How how big a change do you think he would try and make to the Tory Party, given that it's not in a great place at the moment?
1: I don't think we're going to see changes to logos, or headquarters, or major staff changes. He said he's going do a couple of things. First of all, he's going to have a big push on the environment, and I think that's very different and new for the Conservative Party. He can scoop up some of those Green Party votes, which we've seen locally in local elections. They've done quite well. Uh, but he's also said he's going to take on the civil service, and I think that taking on the Conservative Party is one thing, but the, Conserv- the civil service um, might have some other ideas about that, and we could see... Um, some some upsets uh, in the autumn about how exactly he thinks he's going to do that.
0: James, you're pulling a face at the prospect of a civil service overhaul.
1: Uh, I, I
2: just think, it, funnily enough, when Kitty was saying you yeah, embrace the environment and bash the civil service, I mean that, that was David Cameron's plan. You know, <laughs> hugging husky, huskies, coming to government in 2010 and go, God, this is difficult. Blame the year, blame the mandarins. Um, and that that ended well.
0: I mean, not least because you could argue that it's civil servants have been keeping the show on the road for the last year or two.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I think, I I, I found the sort of civil service bashing of the last latter phases of Brexit really miserable. I mean, I I, I partly say this, I guess, having been around this place quite a long time, I have a lot of friends who are civil servants um, who have been working bloody hard Trying to uh, carry out the most extraordinarily complicated project in modern British administrative history from a standing start, having you know, never forget, having been banned from preparing for uh, for a leave vote by David Cameron, um, a lot of people have you know, broken themselves on this project, uh, and to now be accused of undermining the great you know, the Great Brexit project, of making it all worse. I mean, you, I mean, some of the abuse has been levelled at you know, Ollie Robbins has been really horrible, and, you know, and, and pointless. It's not you, know, and really you know, harmful to you know, to to the future of British government, whoever runs it. And coming in
0: and immediately declaring war on the civil service is going to be tricky, not least because that deadline of October the 31st yeah. is looming. And whoever comes in basically has a choice. to either say, right, we're leaving with no deal, we're just going to leave on October 31st, or they say I'm going to go back to Brussels and I'm going to ride back on a unicorn. It, well, yeah, the, yeah. A that, that, I mean,
2: pretty much anybody comes in, gives it one last throw of the dice, says I'm going back to Brussels to show the you know, the, the the good, you know, the the steel and the and the resolve that Theresa May always failed to. Because if, if because we all know with foreigners, you just talk to them you know, slowly and loudly enough, eventually they'll give you <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll give you what you want. Um, so I'll go back to Brussels with my alternative arrangements plan or my whatever it is for the Irish backstop or yeah. You know, or Malthouse or Brady or whatever they are uh, and then the Europeans will say no um, uh, and then I'll come back and say fine off you know, off we go to no deal but remember you know, will parliament allow no deal? Do you um, think yeah. it is possible
0: that uh, Boris Johnson or whoever goes to Brussels gets essentially the same deal yeah. a bit of different language printed off in a nicer font and because it's a different prime minister it could they can push the reset button a load of MPs who had been marched so high up the hill of opposition. Do you think they could get a deal through? In a,
2: in a rational world, that should happen <laughs> because I mean the thing about you, Theresa May's deal. Theresa May's deal is a much harder, more stark and severe form of Brexit than anything anybody in the Leave campaign promised in 2016. If you had set out the terms of the, of, of the May deal, the withdrawal agreement, if you'd put that before Michael Gove, before yeah, before Boris Johnson, before Nigel Farage in the summer of 2016, they would have said, oh, God, yes, thank you very much. Well, that's, that's um, sort of my point. It's a failure of her selling it. it's not a failure of many people. But, anyway, but 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 now we've reached the point where opinion is hardened to the extent that anything short of... You know, no deal, walking out into the deep blue sea, is yeah, apt to be described as some sort of treachery, even though it yeah, it far exceeds anything that was yeah that was conceived of in 2016. So even though that, I mean, I know and yeah, we all know Tory MPs who will privately admit that the deal is fine, they could live with it, but they could, but they, they feel that like they can't do it because they're members, because of their associations, because of the general climate. So yeah, if if you if you if you'd have a secret ballot on you know on, on the withdrawal agreement, it would pass quite easily. Um, but of course, everyone. You know, but that's not how it works. So, uh, yeah, could could a new Tory leader just you know, repackage it? I I, I, I doubt. It. I think you need a lot more drama than that. I think you need some yeah you know, you know, something seismic. I mean, I don't for it to worth. I think it's perfectly possible to imagine yeah you know, Prime Minister Boris Johnson revoking, revoking Article Fifty and saying let's start again. Um, uh, but that's I mean that's
0: quite a pivot from hard Brexit here to.
2: Uh, but if he says if something yeah, we're going to we're going to revoke, you know, we're going to revoke it and start again, and then get the proper Brexit, get the Brexit we always should have done. Um, we will literally, yeah, we will start the, this process afresh. <laughs> Katie, you're shaking your head. <laughs> well,
1: we are forgetting wow. that in a partnership and a negotiation, there are two sides yes. to this, and the European Union will be uh, sharpening their pencils and working out exactly what they do about a Boris Johnson led britain and i should imagine they'll be thinking well this is probably not going to go very far in terms of negotiations. so we're going to prepare for the hardest of brexit and you know it's it's over and so um it would be quite something to revoke article 50 and then try and bring everybody back to the table having for the last two years made it very clear your position and where you think we should go
0: and quite quickly whoever it is in number 10 will discover the maths in the commons is really bad and possibly even worse than it is for Theresa May at the moment because some Tory MPs are already on the record saying they will quit if Boris Johnson becomes I mean you know they may change their minds politicians have been known to say one thing and do another but uh, Boris Johnson probably won't be able to carry all of the Tory MPs either so how quickly do we start expecting a general election
1: uh, I think that we should be preparing for general election kind of this autumn I don't know how long the government will last there are many Tory MPs who say that they will not serve under Boris Johnson. I hope they find a way forward through that because the enemy is a socialist Corbyn government. It is not within ourselves. They may find the Boris from the mayoral days in London, the liberal, socially liberal, the melting, great melting pot of London, Boris, and they may feel they have something in common with him on that. So I wouldn't rule out those people that say they will never serve for Boris because I've already spoken to a couple of them and they probably would. So um, I think that he could hold on but it's for how long he could hold on for. Um, And uh, it depends what the DUP think of his attitude towards the Northern Ireland backstop. They've not been so positive up until now, um, and we could end up in general election territory.
0: So Chris, the million dollar question is, in a general election between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, who wins? I think that's like asking which of the Cray twins had the most respect for the law in terms
3: of the popularity <laughs> of Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, about, about one in four members of the public have a favourable view of Boris Johnson and about one in five members of the public have a very favourable view of Jeremy Corbyn. So it's, um, it'll be interesting. We'll be pretty much in the same situation as we are at the moment with two fairly unpopular leaders. Boris Johnson looks like, at the moment, based on the polling, he's probably the Conservative candidate who can best hold together that Conservative coalition. Now, over the past few weeks, or over the past couple of months at least, we've basically seen half of the Conservative vote share disappear to other parties, both on the Remain side, but particularly on the Leave side, to Nigel Farage's new Brexit party outfit. The Conservative Party are going to need to get a leader if if they are heading into a general election in October. They're, they're going to have to get a leader who can hold that coalition together because else they're going to go down to one of the most dramatic defeats um, that we've seen in, in recent years for the Conservative Party. So the polling at the moment shows that they are going to face some real difficulties and they'll be hoping that a new Conservative leader can can help re- rebuild that coalition that they've um
0: that they've had in recent years while we're all distracted by the fact the Tory party is on fire the the Labour party is in quite a mess as well their poll weights are down they're losing votes to Brexit party and the Lib Dems and the Greens and to what's left to change UK Jeremy Corbyn's p- personal ratings are even worse than Theresa May's We've obviously seen some quite dramatic polling movements over the past few years, but I
3: think the one that's happening at the moment or the one that's happened over the past couple of months is possibly the most interesting of them all. Remember at the general election, we saw the two parties between them get over way over 80% of the vote. That's now dropped down to lower than 50%. So the majority of the public are saying they'd now vote for a party that isn't the Conservatives or the Labour Party. Now, some of that you always get midterm, but even by... Even by recent standards, this is this is quite dramatic. Um, so yeah, we've seen the, we've seen the Conservative Party vote share drop down, and we've seen the Labour Party vote share drop down. And it'll be interesting to see how that would play out in the general election campaign. The two main parties would basically be fighting as hard as they could to win back voters on their flanks, and also how that would play out under the first past the post electoral system as well. So if we are heading into an October general election, and you know, a part of me hopes that we're not, because like everyone else in this room, I quite like having sleep. And um, if we are heading into um, an October general election, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. And it'll, it'll be, if anything, even
0: more interesting than the last one. So having declared two-party politics was dead in 2010, yeah. it was then alive and kicking and back in 2015. It was a bit of a modern, though even more so in 2017, two-party politics was back and now we're back to multi-party coalition politics potentially.
3: Yes, uh yeah, you should never declare the death of two-party politics and you should probably never um declare the revival of uh, multi-party politics either, but 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 yes, we what we ha- what we're seeing at the moment is sort of a continuation of the where we were in 2010 and a reversion away from this two-party politics that we saw at the last election. The last election looks to have been a bit of
0: an, anom- an anomaly in terms of the two parties doing doing well and and gaining most of the votes okay finally then million dollar question we have a Tory leadership contest this summer general election in the autumn who is prime minister on Christmas day Chris making a prediction over that longer period of time is going
3: to be very tricky no one would have expected us to be here Uh, if you'd have asked me to make a prediction 12 months ago I'd say if anything Jeremy Corbyn is probably the most likely to be prime minister on Christmas day but again lots would have to happen to get him into Downing Street James
0: Jeremy Corbyn and Katie?
1: I don't do predictions. You don't do predictions? No.
0: I don't think, to be honest, we should rule out the possibility that Theresa May might still be in endowed. <laughs> but you're not, you're not not—you're not going to say who you think is going to be Prime Minister at Christmas? No. Nope. Well, it'll be a nice Christmas Day treat for you when you find out. Thank you very much for that. We've run out of time. Thank you to Katie, uh, James and Chris. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen and sign up to my morning email at Uk forward slash red box. And if you're a fan of Sam Coates, who is a regular on this podcast. He's leaving The Times this week, and we've got a very special episode with him being released later this week. So subscribe to the podcast. You don't miss that. But now for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.